Lord, our hearts have been moved this worship service in song, in the reading of your word, in our offerings to you. And now as we pause for a few moments to reflect on your word, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would apply specifically the truths that we need to our own hearts and minds. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, today we conclude our eight-part series of messages entitled Lessons from the Life of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 through 13. This is the eighth and final story in the book of Daniel. And here Daniel is praying for his people. Daniel is over 90 years of age by this time. And the decree has gone forth for the people of God to return to Jerusalem, but only a small remnant return. And they receive opposition from the enemies of God. And the process of rebuilding Jerusalem begins to stall. And the hope turns to disillusionment. And Daniel is praying because Cyrus is hearing reports from the enemies of Israel and his support for the Jews is beginning to wane. So Daniel begins to pray with fasting and the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and you can find it here in Daniel chapter 10 verses 12 through 13. I have it here as the key text in our study guide. Then he said to me, do not fear Daniel for the first day that you to understand and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard. I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, and here's the key word, if you're following along in your study guide, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me or came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Here, Daniel is told that there has been a delay to his prayers being answered because the king of Persia has been resisting the influence of the angel Gabriel. Now, there's several lessons that we can bring from this. One of them is there is an invisible reality all around us that we can't see. Do you believe that? One day you're going to meet your guardian angel. Amen? Amen. There are beings of power that are all around us. I believe that angels are here. And here we have a situation where because of Daniel's prayer, God says, Gabriel, go. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This is not to say that God does not have his angels commissioned, but the implication of this is that there are certain parameters and certain boundaries that God abides by. One of them is free will and freedom of choice. God won't infringe on your free will. So when you pray and ask God to intervene in your life, God says, go to his angels. Amen? And they are commissioned to come. And also, when you pray for your son or your daughter or your family member or your friend, 
that is apart from the Lord, I believe that angels are commissioned because of your prayer to go to their side. And I don't know exactly how this works. I know very little, but evidently angels all are around us and they have the ability to influence us. I have been around people that have been under the influence of evil angels. Demon possession or demonic harassment or just an evil spirit that is around them. There is a great controversy that is waging all around us and here we have the curtain pulled back just a little bit. The angel Gabriel says, look, I was trying to influence the king of Persia, Cyrus, to keep his support for the Jewish people, but he was resisting me, and I needed backup. So, Michael, Mikael, was commissioned to come to the side of Gabriel, and it was when Michael came that Cyrus was convinced that he needed to support God's people. For the beginning of this study, I want to do a Bible uh, study of who is Michael. There's a lot of questions of the identity of Michael, and this is the first time that Michael is mentioned in the book of Daniel. His name is mentioned actually three times, twice here in Daniel chapter 10 and once in Daniel chapter 12, and there's a lot of confusion about who Michael is, the identity of this being called Michael. Let's go to the reference in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. This is the third time that Michael is mentioned in the book of Daniel. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Michael is identified as the prince of God's people who delivers God's people from the power of death. There's an association that is brought out in Daniel chapter 12 that Daniel portrays Michael being associated with resurrection power. Do you see that? The third time that Michael is mentioned in the book of Daniel. Now, when you look at the Hebrew word for Michael, Mikael, is composed of three aspects, and it's who as God. El is where we use the word for Elohim, and Michael literally means who as God. There's some other clues when we look at the other places where Michael is mentioned, and this is in reference to the resurrection of Moses from the dead. And Michael is referred to not only as a prince, but in Jude 1.9, the Bible says, yet Michael, what does it say on the screen? The archangel in contending with the devil. Michael is referred to the archangel or otherwise known as the leader of the angels. So this is the unique position that Michael had. He was the leader of the angels, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, 
the term archangel emerges again, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible indicates that when Jesus comes a second time, that the voice of the archangel, the leader of the angels, this voice will resonate throughout the earth, and it's this utterance from the archangel that will raise the dead. Won't that be a glorious day, right? The voice sounds, and then from the grave, people are emerging. Now, let's put this together to this point. Michael is referred to as the archangel, the leader of the angels, and Michael means one who is as God, and it's the voice of the archangel that raises the dead. Now, in John chapter 5, verse 25 through 29, the Bible indicates that it is the voice of Jesus that will raise the dead. And here it is from Jesus' own words, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the who? The Son of God. And those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear whose voice? Will hear his voice. Now let's put this all together. Michael is the archangel, and it's the archangel's voice that will raise the dead. And Jesus says in John chapter 5 that it is the voice of Jesus that will raise the dead. So when you put this picture together, Jesus is Michael. He is the one who is as God. Jesus is Michael the archangel, and angel means messenger. In the Old Testament, Jesus has often come to earth as the divine messenger and is called the angel of the Lord. Now, there are numerous references in the Bible where the Bible uses the angel of the Lord instead of an angel of the Lord. And many times when it refers to the angel of the Lord, it has a different identity, or the angel has a different identity than an angel. And one of the most, uh, I should say, profound places where this is found is in Judges chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, and this is when the angel of God comes to Manoah and his wife and tells them that they will have a son, and this son will be Samson. Let's read it. Judges chapter 13, verse 9 through 11, and God listened to the voice of Manoah, and notice this, this term here. It says, the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has now just appeared. So Manoah rose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And notice the response of this angel. And he said, I am. I am. Remember when Moses was approached by God, what did God say that his name was? I am. The I am. Uh, there's many implications of this. In other words, God did not say, I was. 
right? He didn't say, I will be. He says, I am. In other words, God is the eternal now. I am. And in John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59, Jesus, in speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus declared, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they pick up stones? Because Jesus had just made the claims of divinity. It goes on in Judges chapter 13, verse 17 through 18, in the conversation between Manoah and the angel of God. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? And when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is, what does it say? Wonderful. Wonderful. So these clues are emerging as to the identity of this angel. He says, My name is Wonderful, and I am. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be, what does it say? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. And so Jesus' name is, is Wonderful. Who was this angel that had come to Manoah? It was Jesus. It was the angel of God. And look at it in Judges chapter 13, verse 21 and 22. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. We have seen God. It's very clear, according to these verses, that this was none other than Michael, Jesus, the leader of the angels. In your study guide, you'll see that there's a part that I've highlighted from our key passage Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 through 13. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. The Bible indicates that Daniel was waiting for 21 days. He was praying for three weeks with nothing happening. He was living in this pause where nothing was happening. Have you ever had a time in your life when you felt that your life was on pause. You know that this is not your final destination, but you feel like you're in this eternal layover. You ever been on layover before in Seattle? Maybe. You, You know that Seattle is not your final destination, but you're on layover. You're in this holding pattern. You're in this pause. And... Sometimes these layovers seem eternal. I was on layover in Kotzebue (laughs) at the airport, if you can call it that. It's like this little 
room. I was like, this is the airport? Take a picture of this? I was like, are you kidding me? And I was on layover for like six hours. And I did not eat a thing because of the prices. So I brought this like microwave rice that I put in this little bag and was eating with my plastic spoon in this holding pattern on layover. And sometimes our lives feel like that. We feel like God has hit the pause button. And it may not be 21 days. It may be months. It may be years. Where you're like, Father, I know that this is not my final destination. I know that this is a pause, a temporary stop. But Lord, when are things going to start moving again? When I graduated from the seminary, uh, by the way, I graduated with a Master of Arts in Historical Theology. It's not a practical degree. <laughs> I was like, who needs all that practical stuff? I mean, that's for the Master of Divinity. I'm going to do just pure theology because my intention was to get a PhD in systematic theology. I mean, that was my vision and my goal. Little did I know that God had other plans. So I get out of the seminary and I think, you know, I want to pastor for a little bit before going back to school. And uh, so I decided to pastor, and the Lord took me from the ivory tower of theology to youth ministry in a thousand-member church where I was the youth pastor having to give worship to kindergartners. And I remember distinctly after giving a worship that my senior pastor sat in he approached me afterwards and he said David those young people did not understand a single thing that you just said <laughs> you can't use the word existential <laughs> and epistemology and soteriology I'm sorry David you can't use those words and I, and I came out of there, and I'm like, what is God doing? There's a mistake. And I complained to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you, there's a, there's a mix-up in the blueprint here. I mean, you put the wrong person in the wrong place, and I was placed in this church, and I was replacing an interim youth pastor that actually took youth ministry, an MA in youth ministry, and she re realized my training and that I had nothing uh, of which to offer from uh, a knowledge base, and she looked at me and she said, uh, David, you're the wrong person for this job. And I thought in my heart, I said, I know. I know. And I was in this holding pattern, this holding pattern where I thought in my mind, I have these gems of theology that I just want to give to individuals and I'm it's like casting pearls before anyways you know what I mean it's just like and this isn't my arrogance postgraduate work and so forth and I'm just like and, and I'm here giving worship to teenagers and young people and I was in the pause position not for months but for three years Three years.
of where I'm like, Lord, I know this is not my final destination, or it better not be. <laughs> I knew in my heart, this is not my final de- destination. I'm not cut out for youth ministry. I mean, I, I look at some people, and I'm like, that's youth ministry right there. It says all over, and I'm like, this is not it. This is not it. Three years of wandering in the wilderness. That's the way I felt. Just taking concepts to young people day after day after day, giving Bible studies to fourth graders, giving worship to kindergartners for three seemingly eternal years, and I felt that God had put the pause button, and he said, David, you need to stay right here for three years. And I want to tell you, looking back, I needed that. Because it forced me to make theology intelligible and practical and relevant and understandable. Because look, if you could make it resonate with an elementary school student, you can do it with anybody. Lord, hit that pause button, and by the way, I, le- I met my beautiful wife in that pause. Praise the Lord. Lord knew what he was doing. No, Lord knew what he was doing. And, and there's something about this. You'll find in life that you're going along, and God says, you know what? Let's hit the pause. Let's, let's put you in this holding pattern, and you're like, what in the world, Father, is going on right now? Like, I'm supposed to be moving on. I'm supposed to be going a certain direction, but my life is in this pause, is in this, like, moment of, of a temporary stop that does not feel temporary at all. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And, and the beauty of this is that even though it seems like nothing is going on around you, something is actually happening in you. And that's the point. That's the point. Are you in a temporary stop right now? Do you feel like you're in this pause? And when you read the Bible, some of the greatest figures in the Bible, like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and David, had to wait for many years for God's promises. You think of Abraham. God said, you're going to have a son. And then was the pause. That was a long pause. When he hit 100, Abraham's like, all right, God, like, this is a long time. Sarah was 90. There was a long time of waiting. You think of Joseph. Joseph is given a vision of where he ultimately will end up. But he ends up sold as a slave and then cast into prison. Then he gets his break. The chief butler and and cupbearer are brought into prison for these charges, and the, they both have a dream. Remember the story? And they are released, but before they're released, Joseph says, please remember me and mention my name to the king. That's the end of Genesis chapter 40. Then, in that space, you have a pause. And you know how long that pause is? Here is Genesis chapter, it's actually Genesis chapter 39 ends with that, and then Genesis chapter 40 verse 1 
It says, when two full years had passed. In other words, the cupbearer forgot. And here Joseph is in prison for two years. You know, when you read the Bible, it seems like, you know, you don't recognize the time frames. But between Genesis 39 and when Joseph says, please remember my name to the king, and Genesis 40 is two years. Two years of that pause. What was Joseph thinking during that time when he was in prison? Some other individuals in the Bible. Moses, 40 years in the pause button. That's a long pause. Tending sheep. And then David, his life was on pause for 15 years. Between the time he was told he was going to be king of Israel and between the time he was actually made king. And during those 15 years, he was running for his life. There's something about waiting. Have you ever looked up in the Bible the amount of times that God says, wait on the Lord? You should look it up. Let me give you a few examples here. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait patiently for the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 4, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's something that happens when we're waiting on God, and here it is, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, you know it well, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And here's the thesis of today's message. Something actually happens while nothing is happening. Something actually happens while nothing is actually happening. God uses waiting to change us. In other words, even though there seems to be nothing happening around us, there is actually something happening within us. Have you ever known someone that got what they wanted when they wanted it every single time? Maybe they didn't get it, but they expected it. What type of person is that individual? Are they fun to be around? The people that you want to be around are the people that don't get what they want right when they want it. And they can still idle the motor without stripping the gears. They can be patient and wait when there is a delay. And God, in his mercy, sometimes puts the pause button on our life because he's like, David, there's certain things that I want you to stretch. I want you to grow in. I want you to just stretch that waiting muscle because when you do that, you have a greater capacity to serve and to love and to lead. Something actually happens when nothing is happening. God uses waiting to change us, such as our dilemma as Christians, while society makes every attempt to make our life easier, faster. God works on a very different timetable. Think about it. Moses, pause button, 40 years in the wilderness. You just stay right there. God works on a different timetable. We think that's inefficient, but it is actually the most effective. 
In his mind, nothing is wrong with waiting. In fact, waiting can actually be a positive good that he often uses to make us more like his son. So the question is, what does waiting look like? Does it mean that we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs? Uh, This is what waiting looks like according to the Bible. Waiting means seeking counsel from God. Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. The very first act of waiting is to seek God's counsel in prayer before any attempt is made to solve the problem ourselves. So waiting involves, Lord, I need your counsel. And many times during the, the, the waiting process, we need counseling from God. Amen? And you can be open with God. Believe you me, during those three years where I was on pause as a youth pastor, there was a lot of complaining going on to God. To God. Uh, You read the Psalms, there's a lot of authentic frustration being voiced. God can handle it. I was saying, Lord, I don't like it here. I'm dying. And my parents knew it because they hear me on the phone. They said, son, you sound depressed. I've been like, I'm in this holding pattern and I don't understand. You can talk to God. It's not only seeking God's counsel, it's getting counseling. Amen? He's the greatest counselor. Number two, sometimes waiting means being still. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, Fear not, stand firm, and behold the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be still. This is at the Red Sea. They were at the Red Sea for one week. One week, seven days. During that time, the Egyptian army had blocked them in. The cloud, the pillar of fire, had descended and formed a wall between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And there they were, trapped. And notice what God says. Fear not, stand firm, behold the salvation of the Lord, for he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. And what do we have to do? You have only to be still. Waiting sometimes involves just, God says, look, you've gone as far as you can go. I just need you to stop right there. Amen? Don't move another inch. Just stop right there. I got this. I got this. There's only one person that can part the Red Sea. Amen? Parts the Red Sea. You you just stop right there. Stay in that pause, that holding pattern right there, and I'll take care of it. Be still. You know, sometimes we just want to contribute. Amen? (laughs) Want to get our little bucket out of the Red Sea and be like, oh, we're going to help you, God. You know, let's, let's, let's do this thing. God says, no, 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 no. Stay right there. Stand still and watch me. Watch me part the Red Sea. Sometimes waiting means being still. God may say, enter the battle. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 19, when the Philistines were pursuing David, it says, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Wilt thou give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into thy hand. And he did not take matters into his own hand. He waited for the Lord. 
Then the Lord said, act. Now, even in that acting, sometimes waiting means acting and relying. The third way that we wait for the Lord is by having a sense of reliance on His work even when we are most active. That sense of dependence, waiting on God. I want to read this quotation in regards to Moses being in the pause position for 40 years. Look at what Patriarchs and Prophets says about Moses' experience in the pause position, 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 250. Here, his pride and self-sufficiency were swept away. Remember what we said? Even though there may not be anything happening around us, there's actually something happening within us. Here, his pride and self-sufficiency were swept away in the stern simplicity of his wilderness life and the results of the ease and luxury of Egypt disappeared. Moses became patient, reverent, and humble. Here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Genesis. The long years spent amid the desert solitude were rich in blessing, not alone to Moses and his people, but to the world in all succeeding ages. As we close today, do you feel like you're in the pause position? Do you feel like you're in the holding pattern where God says you need to stay right here because there's some things that need to happen on the inside? I want to pray and say, Lord, help me to embrace it. Amen? Whatever it is, you want to do in me to make me more like you, do it. Amen? Do it even though it seems like nothing is happening around us. Lord, may something happen within us. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these times even though it may be difficult, that our life seems like it's on pause. And we pray that you would work in us during this time to will and to do of your good pleasure. May you reproduce the character of Jesus in us today and daily. And we pray that you would help us to submit to the master artist as he reproduces the character of Jesus in us. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.